Welcome to episode 3. I'm your host Jehan. In today's episode, we embark on a journey into the dark and disturbing world of honor killing. This practice is deeply rooted in societal norms and brings with it a haunting significance that we must confront. Honor killing, also known as honor-based violence, refers to an act of killing an individual, typically a woman, to restore perceived family or community honor which has been tarnished by an alleged violation of cultural or religious norms honor killings are not confined to a single region or religion they occur across various cultures and countries according to united nations there are thousands of cases of honor killings that take place each year worldwide 5000 to be exact but the actual numbers are likely to be much higher due to the unreporting of such cases and social stigma these acts of violence are a chilling reminder of the lengths to which some communities will go to maintain their perceived honor and it often disregards the fundamental principles of human rights and equality in pakistan karokari is a tradition whereby a man can kill a woman claiming she has brought dishonor to the family the concept of women as property and honor is so intensely and deeply etched into the social political and economic fabric of pakistan that once a woman is labeled as a kari a self authorizing and self justifying male member will kill her and the co-accused the karo to restore the family's respect and honor trigger warning this case includes details that are distressful and sensitive listener discretion is advised details of honor killing cases are not available due to underreporting lack of documenting the crime fear of retaliation and the desire to maintain family or community reputation so this makes it very difficult to obtain comprehensive and transparent details on such cases ethishamul haq was a taxi driver and nargis who belonged to a well to do family they both resided in mardan mardan is located in the valley of peshawar and it's the second largest city of khyber pakhtunwa after peshawar the specifics of their meeting and love story remain undisclosed but nargis met ethisham while he gave her a ride in his taxi and i'm assuming over multiple such rides they eventually fell in love they would write letters to one another nargis had written 70 such letters to ethisham expressing her love for him expressing how much she missed him but given their different cultural and societal backgrounds nargis knew that her family would never approve of her marriage to a taxi driver one article states that nargis's family found out about her affair and they brutally beat nargis before locking her inside her room but this did not stop nargis she was determined to be with ethisham she loved him and somehow she managed to escape the details of how she escaped are undisclosed she eloped with ethisham left mardan and they settled in rawalpindi the distance between mardan and rawalpindi is about 114 kilometers or 69 miles blissfully happy and in love started their life together eventually they had two children shayan who was 4 years old and alisha their newborn baby girl Ethisham states in his interview, quote, "Whenever I would come home and Nargis would open the door, Shayan would come running to the door and jump on me. 
Alicia had just started crawling, so she would crawl towards me and hold my leg. That was her way of telling me to take her in her arms. Ethesham states that in April 2011, he went downstairs with his two children to the nearby supermarket. Upon his return, Nargis had informed him that her mother had called and she was extremely unwell. Nargis's mother had urged and pleaded Nargis to come see her as if it was her last dying wish. She told Nargis everything has been forgotten, she has nothing to fear, they just missed her and they wanted to see her. It is unknown whether Nargis spoke to her family prior to this phone call, but we know for sure that after she eloped with Ethisham and ran away, she had not seen anyone from her family. Sufficient time had passed, and maybe Nargis thought if she visits her family with her children, they really have forgotten all of it. Maybe they'll see how happy she is, and they'll embrace her, they'll embrace her children. And with that hope, Nargis and her children said goodbye to Ethisham, and they headed towards Mardan. A few days had passed, but Nargis had not come home. In fact, Ethesham did not even hear from Nargis. But he thought she had been away from her family for so long, she needed time, she needed space to reconnect and rebuild the relationships that she had left behind. So in order to distract himself, he started driving a public minibus. On one of his rides, his passengers were discussing the news of a woman and two children who had been murdered. The newspaper had also shown photographs of the, of the victims. He states in his interview that the passengers had shown him the pictures of the victims, saying, quote, look at these poor people, we wonder who these unlucky people are, unquote. And as Ethesham was driving, he glanced at the picture but couldn't recognize who the victims were and he simply condoled the passing of the victims as he regained his attention to the road. I'm not sure how much time had passed, but at some point after the news of the murder of a woman and her two children had released, Ethesham and his two brothers, Iqbal and Ashwak, were arrested by the police. They were beaten with a leather belt on their backs and on the sole of their feet. They were beaten and tortured for four hours. Ethesham states that the SHO of the Parhoti police station had told the brothers that they knew that they were innocent and had not murdered the victims, but they wanted Ethesham's brothers to give a statement against Ethesham, claiming he murdered his wife and children. An investigation took place, which lasted over a year. But a year after they were arrested, Ethesham and his brothers were finally released because the judge agreed Ethesham had been framed. Nargis's mother was now on trial for the murder of her daughter. The police had also arrested Nargis's brother, uncle and aunt. PHC Chief Justice Dos Muhammad Khan remarked, quote, What can be more brutal than the police compromising with their silence? It would be painful to see interference of some influential people in this case, unquote. Ethesham too believes the family's influence and money will pay off the system and the case will be buried. So what happened to Nargis and her children? Nargis, with all that hope, went back home with her children. The mother's distressed phone call was just a trap to get Nargis back. They beat Nargis and her children ruthlessly for disrespecting their family name and going against her family's wishes. How dare she marry a poor taxi driver? 
for all the money and the status they allude, how could Nargis, someone who comes from a rich, influential family, marry so basic? What a disgrace. What a shame. How dare she fall in love? When the beating did not suffice, their revenge, they took Nargis and her two children to the roof. Trigger warning. Nargis's four-year-old son and newborn baby girl were thrown off the roof and Nargis was forced to watch her family murder her children. They then continued to beat Nargis. They stabbed her, strangled her, and shot her. Side note, this is why Etisham could not recognize the picture of his family in the photograph. Nargis and the children were beaten to such an extent that their faces were disfigured. Her family then dug a hole in the local graveyard and buried Nargis and her children. Etisham never saw his family after they left in April 2011. No funeral commenced because there were no bodies that were found. When he went to the local graveyard, he saw no signs of any graves of his family. So after Etisham was released, he went back to the graveyard and asked the caretaker of the graveyard if he had any clue about where his family was buried. The caretaker told him that he in fact had dug a hole in haste. He showed Etisham a pasture which was covered with grass and weeds, stating that this area was where a mutated woman and two children were buried. We do not know who ordered the caretaker to dig a hole. I don't even know if the police did an investigation. Etisham pulls the weeds and the grass of that area and he places a brick to mark the graves of his family. In Islam, after 40 days of a person passing, the grave is cemented and then marked. But Etisham states that he has not been able to do so because he still is in disbelief that the graves belong to his wife and two children. He says the caretaker stated the bodies buried were of a woman who had been slaughtered, a little girl and boy who, trigger warning, had been stabbed by an axe. But because Etisham did not see his family's bodies, there was a feeling in him that made him believe that his family wasn't buried here. The interview that I found of him, the only interview that I found of him, shows Etisham in his home back in Rawalpindi. He had to leave the home that Nargis and him had made into a home filled with love and happiness. He says it is too painful for him to stay in that house, in that neighborhood, because everything around that place reminds him of his wife and children. He breaks down in tears as he clears and sorts the belongings of Nargis, Shayan and Alicia. This is all he has left of his family. The house he used to share with his family is a constant suffocating reminder of how his wife's family had brutally, heartlessly murdered his wife and children. Etisham is seeking justice for the murders of his wife and children. He does not fear his own death. His only aim in life is for Nargis's family to be punished. He wants no one to go through what he has. The way his family was ripped out of his life, he wishes that on no one. The Chief Justice ordered a reinvestigation into the case by the crime's branch police. Sabzada Riazatul Haq, the lawyer of Etisham, claimed that three petitioners were a part of killing Nargis and the two children. Two of the accused, namely Aurangzeb and Bashir, had confessed to the killings and named their accomplices. When reinvestigated, the police arrested six people, including the mother of Nargis, Niaz Bibi, her brother, Kalimullah, the husband of her sister, Arbab Nasir, and her maternal aunt, Zinat Bibi, in addition to Aurangzeb and Bashir. 
the investigators learned that the accused had promised Arab Nasser that if he killed Nargis and her children, their sister would be married off to him. And after he did commit the crimes, the marriage did take place. It is unfortunate that after 12 years, there appears to be a lack of documentation or information regarding the reinvestigation and the outcome of Nargis's family's punishment. It is concerning that no follow-up interviews or articles about Ethisham or the case could be found during my research. The absence of information raises questions about the transparency and effectiveness of the justice system. Speculating on the possibility of bribery or foul play within the system is understandable given the circumstances. It is also disheartening to consider the idea that Ethisham may have met an untimely fate to conceal the true nature of the crime under the guise of honor killing. However, without concrete evidence or official reports, it is challenging to draw definite conclusions. This is not an isolated case. According to a study conducted by Sindh Suha Saath, a women rights organization, as many as 176 women and men were killed in the name of honor in 2011 across Pakistan's province of Sindh. Just to clarify, this practice is cultural and not religious. In fact, honor killing, according to the Sharia law, which is the Islamic law, is forbidden. Understanding the cultural and social contexts in which honor killings occur is crucial. In many societies, there exists a strong emphasis on collective identity, family reputation, and the enforcement of strict gender roles. These communities often adhere to traditional customs and codes of conduct, valuing concepts such as purity, modesty, and obedience. Deviations from these expectations, such as seeking love outside one's caste religion or defying arranged marriages, can be perceived as a threat to family honor. When I was researching this case, I cannot emphasize enough on how many similar cases popped up. The commonality of this horrific crime within Pakistan is heart-wrenching. Cases that involved honor killing ranged from taking an innocent selfie with their cousin or helping a friend elope or even standing up for themselves by leaving an abusive marriage. It broke my heart to see how many cases of honor killing pertain to South Asia and Middle Eastern countries, but especially in Pakistan. What was even more gut-wrenching is the thought of how many cases go unreported. About 75% of honor killings aren't reported. Living in a society that suppresses freedom of speech, curtails freedom of choice, and disregards human rights in contrast to societal norms and traditions can be profoundly stifling on an emotional level. The justice system concerning honor killing cases in Pakistan is inadequate, insignificant, not enough. They're not doing enough. The criminal law, which was an amendment bill 2004, enacted by the National Assembly of Pakistan in October 2004 against honor killing, represents a small but significant step in the right direction. However, the application and enforcement of penalties can vary due to negotiation of pardons under the so-called Islamic provision. It is worth noting that in many cases, The accusers of the victims are family members such as brothers, fathers, husbands, uncles, and so unfortunately, 
pardons are often granted, rendering the justice justice system to pursue further action. This highlights the challenges faced in ensuring justice and accountability in honor killing cases. According to official figures of the Sindh police, 769 people, including 510 women, were killed in the name of honor between the years 2014 to 2019. The police presented charge sheets for 649 cases and only 19 were sentenced. 136 such cases were acquitted and still as of today 494 cases are pending for trial. The conviction rate stands at a mere 2% against the acquittal rate of 20.9%. Although the practice of karokari or honor killing spares no gender, women still remain the more vulnerable group with 108 women being murdered in 2019 alone. In 2016, Pakistani authorities passed a stricter law to curb honor crimes. According to the new legislation, a, a family member was no longer entitled to pardon a murderer in honor killing cases. The new law guarantees death penalty or life imprisonment for the culprit. But Global Human Rights Watchdog Amnesty International said in its 2017 report that despite the passing of a new law, the number of honor crimes in Pakistan remained high. Sindh Human Rights Commission Chairperson Dr. Aisha Hassan Dajaro claims 23 people were killed in Ghotki, 16 people in Shikarpur, 14 people in Narkana, 10 people in Kherpur, and 5 people in Sakkar. This is all in Sindh. Additionally, 86 people were killed in other districts during the period of January to December in 2022. She added, quote, landlords have their own laws in rural areas. They are so powerful that police avoid registering FIRs against killers related to honor killing crimes, unquote. Again, I need to stress, these are numbers only for that one province of Pakistan, which is Sindh. Every year, over a thousand cases of honor killings are reported in Pakistan. It is crucial to continue advocating for justice and raising awareness about cases like Nargis's in hopes that further investigation and attention will shed light on the truth and hold the responsible parties accountable. The quest for justice, justice and closure in such cases is an ongoing struggle and the support of human rights organizations, legal authorities and concerned individuals can play a crucial role in seeking the truth and ensuring justice prevails. While this case is just one among many, it serves as a chilling reminder of the horrifying reality faced by those who dare to marry for love against their family's wishes. Nargis's tragic fate is an unimaginable horror that continues to haunt us. The gravity of these crimes weighs heavily on my mind as I reflect on the countless other cases that minor this brutality. Just trigger warning, people as young as 16 and 15 have been killed by being burnt alive, buried alive, hung just to protect honor. As I conclude this episode, I cannot help but feel an overwhelming mix of emotions. There's sadness, anger, and a sense of urgency to shed light on these appalling acts. 
Nargis's story is a stark reminder that there are many more lives affected by honor killings, lives that I am committed to researching and sharing with you all. It is essential that we continue to expose these injustices, raise awareness and demand change. We need to stand together against these atrocities which have been committed in the name of preserving societal norms. Until justice prevails for every victim, we must never cease our efforts to bring to an end this unfathomable violence. And with that, I leave you with a heavy heart, knowing that our journey to uncover the truth and seek justice for Nargis, as well as countless others, is far from over. Thank you for joining me on Crime Stories of Pakistan. Your comments and suggestions are greatly appreciated. Stay vigilant. Stay compassionate. This is your host, Jihan, signing off. See you on the next episode.